Last time, we discussed Federalist 3. Today, we will take up Federalist 4. As you know, I like to use a framework of three big ideas to organize thoughts about these essays. So, three big ideas about Federalist 4. Big idea one concerns the relationship between trade and war. Jay suggested that American success in trade could create international tensions that might lead to war. So, he saw tensions over trade as a potential cause of war. Big idea two. To the extent that trade might lead to war, Jay believed that this would be best avoided by a union under the terms of the Constitution. Big idea three. A concern divulged by Jay late in Federalist Four suggests that one potential consequence of an America politically divided might be the alliance of differing areas of America with differing European powers. So big idea three is that Jay seemed to worry that America might be subject to division into, in effect, spheres of influence by European powers. As you may recall, in Federalist Three, Jay treated the question of just causes of war and how union under the Constitution might best avoid the threats from such wars. In Federalist Four, he turned to pretended causes. Along the way, Jay made a distinction concerning the propensity of war among nations in general. On one hand, quote, nations in general will make war whenever they have a prospect of getting anything by it, end quote. And absolute monarchs on the other. It seems that absolute monarchs uh, might need no national interest reason at all, but only what Jay characterized as, quote, purposes and objects merely personal, end quote. This is noteworthy. It is often thought that the propensity of states to engage in war is in part a function of their political systems. There were European political theorists that had this thought in the 1700s, and it is always noteworthy to see these connections between American thinkers and those in other lands. Jay then turned to a more granular discussion of the potential for American trade with and in different parts of the world. He summed up this line of argument by observing that America was, was likely to be successful in international trade and that one ought not think that other states, quote, should regard our advancement in union, in power, and consequence by land and by sea with an eye of indifference and composure, end quote. Rivalry over trade, be it over the sale of catch from fisheries, trade with European colonies near, colonies near America, or trade in China and India, rivalry over trade in any of these areas might be a potential cause of war. This is, you will recall, big idea number one. Trade could lead to rivalry and perhaps to war. Big idea two follows big idea number one. Wars may arise. So for Jay, one point of union is, quote, to put and keep them in such a situation as, instead, instead of inviting war, will tend to repress and discourage it, end quote. Jay asserted that the, quote, safety of the whole is the interest of the whole, end quote. Insofar as that is true, why would some number of governments other than one be more competent than what Jay characterized as, quote, one good government, end quote? In a striking passage, Jay asserted that such a government could, quote, place the militia under one plan of discipline and, by putting their officers in a proper line of subordination to the chief magistrate, 
will, as it were, consolidate them into one core, and thereby render them more efficient than if divided into 13 or into three or four distinct independent companies." End quote. It is worth stopping to note that this argument is along a familiar line of dispute between Federalists and Anti-Federalists. One of the main criticisms of politics before the Constitution referred to its inefficiency. But many of the same ideas that promote efficiency also appeared to anti-federalists at least, to promote centralization of power that gave rise to fears of despotism. What was the revolution about, after all, if not a rejection of a certain kind of centralized power? Those that opposed such centralization often worried about liberty, and one can see each side of the argument on just this point of centralized administration of the military. Jay, in arguing for the value of efficiency, thought it would tend to military success. One way he argued for this claim was to point to the British military. Both the British Army and the British Navy were greater than any of the component parts, the Scottish militia, the Welsh Navy, and so on. So too for America, thought Jay. If it were divided, how would different parts defend one another? rather than falling prey to divide-and-conquer politics. And, and um, a somewhat longer quote, I think, helped spare this out. This is from John Jay. Quote, Leave America divided into 13, or, if you please, into three or four independent governments. What armies could they raise and pay? What fleets could they ever hope to have? If one was attacked, would the other fly to its succor and spend their blood and money in its defense? Would there be no danger of their being flattered into neutrality by its specious promises, or seduced by a too great fondness for peace to decline hazarding their tranquility and present safety for the sake of neighbors, of whom perhaps they have been jealous, and whose importance they are content to see diminished? Although such conduct would not be wise, it would nevertheless be natural. End quote. One should think about what is being asserted at this point of the argument. Is the wish of states to help each other a result of union or a cause of union? Insofar as Jay describes the self-interested behavior of states as natural, though not wise, a cynic might think that Jay would have trouble explaining how the nation might come together at all, or how the Constitution would overcome the apparent natural self-regard of single states or groups of states. To be sure, if other states wanted to help, that would be better, of course. However, Jay reminds us that addressing this kind of thing ad hoc is difficult. One way to think about this is to think about military coalitions, where one problem is to determine who should command. But for Jay, with one government, the USA would avoid, quote, various difficulties and inconveniences, end quote, relevant to military and political coordination. So this is big idea number two. Union under the Constitution is more advantageous than competing potential political arrangements, whether implying 13 sovereign countries or just three or four. Big idea number three points to a particular bad outcome for an America divided into three or four states, that the logic of divide and conquer might encourage European states to, in effect, establish spheres of influence in the USA. If European states, quote, find us either destitute of an effectual government, paren, 
each state doing right or wrong, so, so as to its rulers may seem convenient, end parentheses, or split into three or four independent and probably discordant republics or confederacies, one inclining to Britain, another to France, and a third to Spain, and perhaps played off against each other by the three. What a poor, pitiful figure will America make in their eyes, end quote. It didn't take too many years for questions of sympathy for Britain or France to become politically salient issues. This did not play out through direct regional influence by British or French state actors of the kind that Jay feared, but one can see that a new country such as America was both in need of friends and in need of caution about the motives of friends. But turning to the subject of commerce for a moment, it might be surprising to see Jay equate international commerce with potential conflict and even war. It had, since at least the time of Montesquieu, been hypothesized that engaging in international commerce might make a country less apt to make war. Don't forget, Montesquieu was often quoted in the Federalist Papers, so the authors of the Federalist Papers would have known this. Even beyond that, the question of whether commerce replaces war or fans the flames of war is one that comes and goes in political theory, and it is worth asking this question in our own time. If commerce displaces war, then this suggests that it is best to pursue as much interstate trade as possible, because the more commerce, the fewer wars. But there is another side of this argument, pointing out that rivalry among states over trade may lead to war. Jay seems to argue that side of the argument. Thank you for your attention. We will turn to Federalist 5 next time. Please visit the Sunwater Institute website at sunwater.org to learn more about our work. Thank you.